Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our series, Jesus and His People. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Thrown Away or Pruned. The Bible gives us a clear account of Jesus' last week before crucifixion. On Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the sounds of Hail to the King. The crowds cheered him as the long-expected Messiah. On Monday, he walked into the temple driving out the money changers and pronouncing that the temple was his house and that it was intended as a house of prayer. Tuesday was the day I like to call the day that the empire strikes back or has been more traditionally called the day of controversy. It was the day that Christ's enemies watched in horror as Jesus was carrying out his mandate as Messiah. And so they decided to confront him at every occasion with traps intended to make him look foolish. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? What's going to happen to a woman who's married seven men, has been widowed seven times? Whose wife will she be in heaven? And on and on went the questions. But to their dismay, The enemies found that Jesus was equal to the challenge. He answered each question both with ease and with wisdom and to the sheer delight of the watching crowd who seemed to cheer him on at every step. And as that day ended, Jesus predicted the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Wednesday is the day I call the eye of the hurricane. It's the day when all was strangely calm. Not much is said about what happened on that day. So we assume that Jesus spent the day with the twelve. His opposition also took a break, probably to regroup, for they had suffered humiliating defeats the day before. Clearly, they needed a better strategy. But like all calms like this, it was eerie. Everyone who was paying any attention at all should have guessed that the biggest part of the storm was just around the corner. And then came Thursday. In the evening, Jesus gathered his disciples in the upper room. He celebrated the Passover with him, where he instituted what we now call the Lord's Supper. Taking the traditional elements of Passover, Jesus declared himself to be the Passover lamb. Just like 1,500 years earlier when Israel was trapped in slavery in Egypt on a very dark night, the angel of death came upon Egypt, killed every firstborn in the land. It was an act of punishment for their sins, and Israel also would have experienced the vengeance of God. See, the Bible affirms that Israel had their own sins, except on that night they were to slaughter a lamb and paint the blood on the doors of their houses. You can't be saved from judgment unless blood is spilt. And then as the angel of death came upon the land, passed over every house that had the blood smeared to the door frames, pass over, Israel never forgot. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. But now here we are 1,500 years later, and on that night when all Israel was celebrating Passover, Jesus was alone with his disciples in the upper room. There to his shaken disciples, he communicated that his blood would be shed for them. It's a shocking evening for the disciples. He announced to his disciples he was going away. So where's he going? The tension in Jerusalem was so high that this was definitely not a time to go away. And if he did go away, what would become of them? And that, by the way, is the theme of this study. What will happen to the followers of Jesus? Can they remain connected to him as chaos and loss and doubts and enemies arise? That's our question as well. And while all that's happening, Judas has defected. He's gone out into the night. He's looking for the possibility of betraying Jesus. And the Bible never gives us his motivation. 
You know, some suggest he was just disillusioned. He wanted a Messiah of strength, and instead here is Jesus in weakness. And whatever his reasons were, he had made the decision. He was done with the Jesus movement. Perhaps the disciples were wondering if there would be more defections to come. What Jesus was about to say in the next several hours as they sat in that room after, you know, after they'd celebrated Passover, well, that would make all the difference in the world. They needed to understand the cross. They needed to know their mission to form a church, to preach the saving message of Jesus to the world. But they also needed assurance that they wouldn't fall from Jesus as Judas had done. They needed to know they would be secure. And so in John 15 to 17, Jesus began to explain to them what they needed to know to survive the horror of watching him crucified and then beyond that. He knows they must stay spiritually connected to him. Nothing is more important than that. And that's why we've taken to studying this vital section of Scripture. We also are in a day of chaos. Many are deserting the faith today. We also need to know if we are securely tied to Jesus. So let's read our text, John 15, 1 to 6, and discover what Jesus has to say about these matters. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. See, let's examine what Jesus told his frightened disciples. In this, he told them about the Father's warning, a warning they would have to heed. Now, Jesus is giving his disciples an allegory, or he's giving them an analogy. The Father is being presented as a landowner with a vineyard. The son, Jesus, is presented as the vine, a grapevine, and the disciples are presented as the branches that are growing out of the vine, and they are intended to bear fruit. See, that's the picture, but we're left with some questions, aren't we? Why this story, and what's the fruit that is demanded of the disciples? And who are the disciples that are fruitless, those ones who are going to be thrown out? And even further, when Jesus says that he prunes the healthy branches, what's he telling them and us? You see, there's a lot to talk about here. So first of all, let's ask why Jesus told the story. Remember that just a little before, as the disciples were sitting in the upper room, Jesus began with these words. One of you will betray me. Shocking, because Jesus had just finished washing his disciples' feet, and he had been demonstrating how much he loved them. And now comes this horrifying word. One of you are going to walk out of this room. You're going to go to the religious authorities. You're going to let them know where I am so that they can arrest and kill me. He will do it because of the money they will pay him. He will trade in eternity for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I know Judas was a scoundrel. He always loved money. Just a week before that night, while they were in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, a woman had come and broken a very expensive alabaster jar of expensive ointment. And out of love, she had poured it out on Jesus' feet. You remember Judas was there, and he was outraged. Why not sell the perfume and give money to the poor, he said. And you remember why he said it. 
John 12, 6 says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas, the man who loved money, the man who couldn't get himself to see the long-term plan of eternity because he couldn't say no to the immediate impulses that flooded through his darkened soul. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told of the four soils? Two kinds of those seed took root and sprouted, but did not become fruitful. Some, Jesus said, fell on rocky ground, and when the sun came up, it died because it, it had no deep roots. It's an analogy of the person who sees persecution coming and then just runs away. Other seed fell on ground covered by thorns, and they choked the seed out as it grew. This speaks of the person who has never become disconnected with his or her love of the world. That was Judas. He loved money. He loved this world. And the demands of Jesus were too great for him. And this is the Father's warning. But let's start at the beginning. Jesus says that the Father is the vine dresser. He's tending the vineyard. He's watching out over the fruitfulness of the vine. Who's the vine? Vine's Jesus. How do we understand it? Well, we begin with a standard teaching that Jesus always reinforced. For instance, John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's to say, Jesus was determined that his mission was entirely to be shaped by his Father. The Father planned the mission of Jesus, and Jesus carried out the plan of the Father. That was the relationship that Jesus had. And I know, you know, there are people who always object to that. They say, well, isn't Jesus God? How does that make sense? Yeah, he is fully God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully equal with the Father, fully equal in nature. And yet he fully submits to the Father He did not act on his own will, but according to the will of him who sent him. The father overseeing is the vine dresser, and the vine does that which the father shapes. The father has directed Jesus in his ministry, and Jesus is following in obedience. Did you know that Back to the Bible Canada has a weekly video Bible teaching series? All videos, both archived and current, are easily accessible on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or online at backtothebible.ca. The videos offer the excellence of Bible teaching you've come to expect from Dr. John Newfeld, providing insight into God's Word, God's character, and the life He has called us to live. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. There you can also access past video series and programs, including our recent virtual worship event, The Gathering, 45 wonderful minutes of worship, Bible teaching, laughter, and encouragement. For more information or to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. After defining the relationship that Jesus enjoyed with his Father, you know, one in which Jesus freely and gladly submits to his Father, Jesus adds that the Father, as the vine dresser, is constantly removing fruitless branches or fruitless people. 
Look again at verse 2a. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That may sound surprising because as we remember the events, Judas took the initiative and he walked out on Jesus, at least, well, that's the way we see it. Jesus saw it differently. See, from his perspective, the Father had removed him because he was a fruitless branch. Indeed, Jesus restated it later. We're going to read about that later in our study when we come to Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays in John 17, verse 12. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, we're going to talk about the fulfillment of Scripture in the damnation of Judas later on. So let's resist the urge to you know, plow into that subject matter now. But we must deal with this matter when Jesus says that when someone leaves his fold, it is because the Father has taken them away. I want you to think about that for a moment. You and I labor under an illusion that we're the captains of our own souls. We're the masters of our own destiny. In fact, it is an illusion. And we may say, I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving the faith. I'm tired of the gospel. I'm doing things my own way. You know, at least that's how it looks to us. But Jesus said it didn't actually happen that way. In fact, what happened is you were removed. Now, we see that this begins with a warning. Those who leave the faith were, in fact, defective in their faith from the beginning, like unfruitful branches. They're removed by the Father. Now, I don't know about you. It gives me a great deal of confidence. My remaining with Jesus for eternity is not dependent on my iron will to carry out in commitment to follow Jesus. If my faith were dependent on my efforts, it'd be a questionable thing at best. Instead, my perseverance, my staying with Jesus, that's dependent on the will of the Father. I'm therefore satisfied in the will of the Father. Uh, But you might say, well, wait a minute. Well, what if God decides to throw me out? Oh, but you're not reading the passage carefully, are you? The throwing out of certain branches, that's not an arbitrary choice. See, this passage says the Father throws out unfruitful branches. It's essential that we recognize that we are fruitful as we remain in Jesus. You remain in him, Jesus will ensure your fruitfulness. Now, we're going to come back to that. But notice also that not only does the Father throw out fruitless branches, but he also prunes fruitful ones. What seems clear from this is that no fruitful vine is exempt. Now, I've been told by people who actually prune fruit trees or grapevines that the pruning process often looks quite severe. To an untrained eye, the pruning looks like one's been savagely damaging the vine. But in fact, the pruner knows that his art maximizes fruitfulness, so he's determined to cut deeply into those branches. Now, again, I admit I know nothing about vineyards, but I have been to a coffee farm in Kona, Hawaii. Now, we were shown large coffee plants. Some were higher than a human being, and they are pruned right down to the root. It looks like the plant's being destroyed, but it's not. It's being preserved. A great many Bible teachers have associated the pruning that Jesus speaks about with suffering, difficulties, pain, or simply the experience of difficulties in the life of a believer. And I think that's absolutely correct because it accords well with the rest of Scripture. For instance, Psalm 119 speaks that way. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. With that in mind, go to verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. 
And finally, the psalmist encounters difficulty in his life, and he says he's learned something about difficulty. Verse 107, he says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. In other words, I am praying that the affliction will give me what you, O God, know that I need. Of course, it's not just in Psalm 119 that we find these words. First Peter. Peter teaches that God deliberately brings suffering into our lives to break our attachment from this world and to give us a yearning for spiritual matters. It's mercy, even though some have called it a severe mercy. And so Jesus is telling the disciples of the hardship they're about to encounter. It means they're fruitful vines, and through this pruning process, he is maximizing the yield that they will bear. Now, just a personal note here. In my own personal life, some of the hardest things that have ever happened to me have opened a door to the greatest fruitfulness in my ministry and impacting the greatest number of people for the glory of Christ. I bear a personal testimony through several key experiences that this is in fact so. And then comes a third warning, which we might also look as a blessing. It's found in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So the first thing I want you to notice is that the word for pruning in verse 2 is similar to the word clean in verse 3. And one commentator has said, but suffering is merely the handle of the father's knife. The blade is the word of God. Well, perhaps, I mean, it's a nice image, but there may be more to it than that. I, I think the word is what made the branches clean in the first place. And the pruning process is what keeps them clean. Let's put it more practically. The differences between, for instance, Peter and Judas is really interesting, to say the least. You know, Judas may have been stealing from the offering, but Peter was using all his persuasion on one occasion to try to get Jesus to abandon his cross and then to grab the reins of political power. Um, Judas may have betrayed Jesus, but Peter denied him, and both men were profoundly remorseful for what they'd done, but that's where the similarity ends. Judas never believed when Jesus spoke, but Peter did. And it's that that's the fundamental difference between the fruitful vine and the barren one. For Judas, because he did not believe, the pruner's knife cut him off, and for Peter, because he did believe, the pruner's knife made him a fruitful branch. I think this needs to be said. From the outset, it may look like the knife of suffering comes in the same way to both, that is, to both the apostate and to the believer. But there's a remarkable difference. One is cut off, the other is prepared for fruitfulness. See, the one who's being pruned has been cleansed by Jesus. So what does that mean? It means that they have truly believed when Jesus spoke. We're back once more to the parable of the four soils. Some believe, but the kind of faith they had was defective from the outset. They were never clean. That is, they never renounced all for Christ. So consider this matter of repenting, because repenting is a part of believing. You can't believe in Jesus until you renounce everything else. Listen to Paul describing his own conversion to Christ in Philippians 3, 7 to 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You know, for Paul, Christ became the treasure hidden in the field for which he would gladly sell all that he has and buy that field. 
See, if it meant that he had to give up his status as a rising Pharisee and thus also give up the honor and fame that could have been his in his community, Paul made a reasoned decision. Christ is worth more than all that other stuff. Indeed, all that other stuff, he said, is rubbish. And the Greek word translated here as rubbish, well, it's a word skubala. I I don't know how to put it nicely, but all of you farmers out there, you know exactly what it means. I'll just say he calls it poop. How about that? At any rate, that's what Paul thinks about everything else in comparison to Christ. How would gladly shovel that scubula right out the door, he says, if in so doing, Christ becomes my treasure. It's not even a close comparison. But some, when they believe in Jesus, don't understand matters that way, do they? You know, for them, Christ comes to give them a rich and full life. And for them, that means that he blesses all that scubula, all that poop. Now they can enjoy all the riches of this life, for Christ is on their side. And so when the days of cutting come, when all the riches are removed, and when the experiences of this life become bitter, they act like Judas, they leave. But in truth, they were never clean. They were never planted in good soil, to use you know, the illustration of Matthew 13. Or in this illustration of John 15, they were never a fruitful branch attached to the vine. Instead of being pruned, they were being cut off and thrown away. And here's the good news. If you renounced all for the sake of Christ, you're attached to the vine. When the day of cutting comes, and it will, you're not being rejected, you're being pruned. The Father is concerned that you should be overwhelmingly fruitful. It's his desire for you. You're not going to fall away. The Father will see to that. Thanks, John. Let me ask you this. Do you not think that the people around Judas, perhaps the disciples, should have anticipated his falling away? Or is it possible to see signs that people's relationship with Christ isn't authentic? Well, you know, um, John does mention that Judas used to help himself to the money bag. So he was pilfering out of the offerings that were given to Jesus' ministry. Now, to what extent they were all aware of that, but clearly uh, he was exhibiting signs of greed. Uh, He was self-centered. He was interested for himself. I mean, there are a lot of theories as to why Judas apostatized. I won't get into that, but surely there were signs in advance. You know, on the other hand, Ben, I think we also need to recognize that, you know, if we become suspicious of everyone who's struggling in their faith, we probably are going to come to all sorts of wrong conclusions. So, you know, there's always this balance of being aware as to the deficiencies that need to be corrected uh, and, uh, you know, constantly uh, discouraging people who are trying to make progress. So uh, let's just be aware that apostasy is always a danger. And of course, the life of Judas reminds us of that. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Jesus and His People, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Hey, we wanted you to know that there's still time to order our beautiful limited edition, Back to the Bible Canada 2021, Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar. It provides you with words of encouragement, beautiful pictures of creation, and a uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Neufeld, encouraging all of us to open up our Bibles. Use your calendar as a daily reminder to practice the discipline of reading God's Word. This resource is filled with encouragement, and it's yours for free. There are limited quantities of this free calendar, so reach out today 
to ensure you get your copy of our 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar. To request your copy today and perhaps give a financial gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.